Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, I don't know why it's doing that. Praise the Lord. Let's just... I put batteries in this one. Praise the Lord. No, I might have to change this. Praise the Lord. All right, let's try this one. That seems a bit better, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. Okay. It's good to be in church this morning, amen? Amen, amen, amen. There's no other place I would rather be. Before I get into it too far, I have been meaning to do this for the last couple of weeks, but I'll just quickly show you now. At the front here, we've got our theme for overseas missions for 2022. Um, it's, there's a few of them. You're meant to stick them up on the fridge. On the front is the theme. On the back is the prayer points that we want to be praying for this year. Amen. I've got some at the front here. I've got some on the bookshelf out in the foyer. Amen. So before you go, just make sure you grab one, one for every family. Stick it up on your fridge. Amen. And let's remember to pray for the countries that are around us and the work that we are doing to reach them. Amen. As a church, we always want to be reaching out. We never want to be focused inward. We never want to be settling down and just trying to build something inside here, but we always want to be focused outward. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> We're going to continue on this morning with, with life class. And who's been enjoying this, this series so far? I've been enjoying teaching it. It's been changing my life as I've been teaching it. And, and I guess that's the great thing about God's Word is you can't study it to preach it without it changing your own life. Amen. Well, at least it should. <clears throat> so I've enjoyed teaching it. You'll recall that the subject we're teaching about is being a living sacrifice. The point that we are is, is that we are to be a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. And in the first week, we spoke about the fact that He was our Passover lamb. Jesus was our Passover lamb and shed His blood for us. Amen. But like the Israelites of old, their salvation was not assured until they had applied the blood to the doorposts of their houses. Amen. They could have had all the promises in the world, but if they didn't do what God told them to do, they would not be saved. Amen. And, and applying the blood is a metaphor for our life as well. Amen. As Jesus is our Passover lamb. Last week, we spoke about how the death of Jesus on the cross gave us not only forgiveness from the penalty of sin, but the power to live free from sin. Amen. You know, it's not just, salvation is not just a one-time event that happens, amen, when the new birth experience takes place, but it is an ongoing thing in our life, amen. We call that the work of sanctification. <clears throat> when we repent of our sins, we're baptized in the name of Jesus, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are declared righteous, amen. When God gives us that experience, amen, we are righteous through faith in His work on the cross, amen. But there is a work that happens in our heart as God makes us like what He has actually declared us to be, amen. Because most of you would understand that when you first come to God, you're not perfect. As a matter of fact, for those like me, you're still not perfect. As a matter of fact, there's nobody perfect, amen. And so God is continually working in our heart and helping us to become more like Him every day, amen. And this week, we're going to talk about how we need to live our life as a living sacrifice. Our, our key verse for today, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to go to Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage of Scripture. It 
Some of you may be able to quote it, Romans chapter 12. Say amen when you're there. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. The Bible teaches us that we are to be transformed. Amen. And we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Praise the Lord. In the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings, the Bible tells the story about a drought. A drought that Elijah had proclaimed to King Ahab. And for many years, this drought had worn on and it had taken its toll on people. People were beginning to go hungry. People were beginning to go thirsty. Elijah, the Bible tells us, had been hiding out by the brook Cherith. And every day, ravens would come with meat and bread for him. And he was by a brook, and so he had a steady stream of water. But as the drought wore on and as time went on, that brook ever so slowly started to dry up, dry up, dry up, dry up, till eventually it disappeared. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Sidon was a long way away. And in far off Sidon, the drought had still reached there, and the supply of grain perhaps had finished up, and people were running out of food. And many, many people were on the brink of starvation. As a matter of fact, the Bible records the story of the widow that Elijah was sent to. The widow stared into her flower bin, probably looking brokenhearted, despondent, discouraged, perhaps in despair. There was only one handful of flour that was left in the bottle of, bottom of her flower container. You know, I believe that like any mother, she had probably gotten used to being hungry by now. As a matter of fact, she's recorded as having a little boy. And that little boy probably got more than what the mother had because most parents would gladly sacrifice and give for their children before they care about themselves in that situation. But as she looked at this final little bit of flour that was left in the bottom of the barrel, she realized, I've only got enough for one more loaf of bread. And once that's gone, it's gone. And she decided that she was going to make it and then basically her and her son were going to just lie down and die. There was nothing left for them then to do. The drought had not broken. And so she went to the city gates, the Bible tells us, and that was the place where maybe they kept firewood or she knew she would find a few sticks there to, to, to build a fire, to bake this last little loaf of bread. And, and the man of God arrives at the gate at the same time and he's hungry and he's thirsty as well. And he sees this widow and perhaps he spots the barrel of flour under her arm as she's walking around looking for sticks and he says hey can you give me a drink of water and she says yes I can give you a drink of water water I can do and can you make me a loaf of bread and the widow explains to the man of God to Elijah that look 
this is the last of my, my, my flower. I don't have anything left. I can't give anything more. I've got nothing left to give. Once we've had this, my son and I, we're just going to lay down in the corner of our house and die. It's the only other thing we can do now. But Elijah said to her, he said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. He insisted that if you give me the last of your flour, then God will take care of the rest for the remainder of this drought. For as long as this drought continues, you will always have flour in your barrel, you will always have oil in your bottle, and God will provide for you. And so the widow was faced with a choice. And I think most people would have understandably, would have understood, sorry, if she had refused Elijah's request. After all, she was giving up her final meal. And she was faced with a dilemma. It was to try and save her life and the life of her son now and most certainly die or risk her life and live. But she had to make that choice. And we know that the widow in faith chose sacrifice, and she was saved. Amen? God's word was true. God didn't let her down. The flower continued. The oil continued. Amen? Now, what God calls the widow to do in regards to her physical life, Jesus calls us to do in regards to our spiritual life. Salvation both now and in eternity will only come to those who in faith sacrifice their lives in total commitment to God. Amen. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. And we'll pick it up around verse 13 or so. Jesus was about to begin his final journey to Jerusalem and ultimately to Calvary. And as he entered into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he sat with his disciples and he asked them, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Amen. And, you know, the disciples answered with various, various you know, prophets. Some say that you're... John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, perhaps, excuse me, perhaps people could see, you know, various aspects of these Old Testament prophets in Jesus' ministry. But Jesus makes it personal and he says, but who do you say that I am? Amen. And we know that Peter turns around and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. Or in other words, Peter was saying, we believe that you are the Messiah. Amen. Now, you've got to understand, in, in the time that Jesus walked on the earth and the, the, the situation that the Jewish people found themselves in, they believed that the Messiah was primarily a political figure, a, a national hero, if you like. They believed that the Messiah was going to save them, but not by dying. They believed the Messiah was going to come and throw out the Roman occupation, and rule as a king from Jerusalem over a new Israel nation state. That's what they believed the Messiah was going to do. Amen. And uh, Jesus understood that this was quite a common expectation, but it was not correct. It was a false expectation because the very thing you see in verse 21 is right after Peter has this 
a revelation. And, you know, we know the scripture Jesus says and says, you know, you are Peter and upon this rock, the revelation of who Jesus was, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And everyone's like, rah, rah, this is awesome, fantastic, Jesus, woo, woo, woo. But then Jesus turns around and says, but. Mark records it in Mark 8, verse 31. It says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Whoa, hold up. And be rejected. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, you're the Messiah. We just said you're the Messiah. And you said I was right. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Whoa, Jesus, back up, back up, back up. You're the Messiah. You're meant to deliver us from the Roman occupation. You're meant to rule as a king right now, right here. Let's make you a king, Jesus. And be killed and after three days rise again. See, Jesus' role as the Messiah and his purpose and his mission on earth did not fit with what the disciples thought it was going to be. This is why Peter turned around and said, Whoa, 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 whoa. Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto you. Interesting, isn't it? And then just as quick as Peter's great revelation, everyone's really excited, and then his denunciation of Jesus doing his mission, Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. Wow. Now, can you imagine if you came to pastor and said, pastor, you know what? I don't think life class is very good. As a matter of fact, I think you should close the church. And I said to you, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) How would you feel? You certainly wouldn't want to be spoken to like that, amen. But the truth of the matter is, is that Peter, whose name means a stone, had become a stumbling block to Jesus. He wanted to stop what Jesus was doing. And because Satan is the adversary, Peter had put himself in a position of being an adversary to Jesus. Peter had to call it out quickly, amen. He wasn't there. And so he was rebuked by Jesus. You know, nothing and nobody was going to keep Jesus from the cross. But the way of the cross was not just for Jesus alone, amen? Because right after he rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, he says to his disciples in verse 24, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And then he says this, For whosoever will save his life will lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. See the parallels with the story that we opened with, with the widow in the Old Testament? She had a choice. She could save her life, but in doing so, she was going to lose it. But if she chose to sacrifice instead, It was the only possible way she ever had of actually saving her life and the life of her son. It is the same thing with Jesus. Amen. The only way we can be assured of our salvation is if we sacrifice our life to God willingly as a living sacrifice. Amen. We have to be willing to lay it all down on the line. Amen. You know, and and, and you know what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't do this, you know, bait and switch kind of thing. Right? You know what I mean by that? Jesus doesn't just promise the good things. Right? He actually shows you everything. Yes, there's going to be blessings. Yes, there's going to be times of joy. Yes, it's going to be exciting living for Jesus. But by the way, there's a cross involved if you truly want to follow me. 
right? And, and you see this in the Gospel of John. Right? You see, when Jesus begins to lay out some of these things that people are going to have to do, you see people begin to walk away and begin to leave him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave me as well? Amen. Because the cost that Jesus wants us to pay is high. It is high. It's a sacrifice, a living sacrifice of our whole life. Amen. Amen. And so Peter, we know, he said, no, we're going to stick around. Amen. But, you know, I wonder if sometimes as modern Christendom, if we want to put everything all together in one church, I wonder if perhaps we haven't really been quite as straightforward as what it means to be to follow Jesus. Perhaps we've been always focused on, you know, God's going to bless you. God wants to abundantly give to you. God's got so much for you. You know, we've got all the scriptures, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. And that's all part of living for God. But we cannot minimize the sacrifice that God wants us to make. Amen. And it, is just, it, it doesn't matter how high the cost is, amen, because the price that Jesus paid for us to live for him is beyond worth. There's nothing we could ever do. Remember, we're not talking about salvation by works here. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation, but what we do is we willingly lay down our life, our whole life, every part of our life as a living sacrifice to God because of what He did for us. Amen? Amen. The cross is a place of death. And to take up our cross is to die. You can't pretty it up. You can't kind of make it look good. To take up your cross means you die. It's not some euphemism for, oh, you just have to be in church every Sunday. It's not just, you know, as long as you pay your tithes and your offerings. It's your whole life is dead. Amen? Your whole life is dead. Look at this. We die to a life that is lived as if we are Lord, that we might live a life that declares that He is Lord. Amen? And we accomplish this by doing what He says. We die to seeking our own kingdom so that we can seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Amen? That's what we die to. Amen? We die to sin. Romans tells us this. We don't let sin reign in our mortal bodies, amen? We, we want to walk in holiness, the Bible tells us, without which no one shall see God, amen? These are the things we have to die to in our life and in our heart. We have to die to self-centeredness. We have to die to our unrelenting pursuit of trying to please ourselves and making our life comfortable at the expense of living for God, amen? Fulfilling our wills while satisfying our wants, amen? And, and what we think we need instead of trying to live a Christ-centered life that is solely focused on, is my life pleasing to God? Because if it's not, if there's one part of it that's not, I'm not dead enough yet. I need to live my life a living sacrifice to God. There is no part of your life, no aspect of your being that is not exempt from this. There is not some little section of your life that you can separate and say, well, that's mine, God, and I'll give you 95%. No, God wants all of it. Amen. As a matter of fact, even using hyperbole, Jesus gets on the scripture. He, say, he says, you know, unless a man hates his mother and his father, he cannot serve me. And Jesus is not suggesting you hate your mother and your father, but what he is suggesting is that your dedication to him, your love for him in comparison might as well be as if you hate your mother and your father. Amen. He is so far above everything else in this earth. Amen. There's nothing that comes close 
to living for Jesus. Amen. You know, commitment to Christ takes such priority over our commitments to ourselves and even to those who are most dear for us. Amen. You know, Jesus is not interested in us offering some or even most of our lives to Him. His call is to offer all of our lives to Him, every single part. And that's different for everybody. That's different for everybody. You know, Jesus tells the parable, He says, you know, I, I set up a feast, and I invited some to come, and one said, I can't come, I've just got married. Another said, I've just bought a property and I can't come. Another one said, I've just got a new cow and I can't come. It doesn't matter what the reason is. All of them will exclude you from being Christ's disciple if you don't lay it down, amen? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. And he said, well, you know what the law says. And he says, well, every part of the law, I have been observing it from my youth up. I've been so careful to do all the right things. I've ticked all the boxes. I'm doing everything I can. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. And he said, there's one more thing. Just one more thing. Go home. Sell everything that you have. And come follow me. And the Bible says that the young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus had reached for the last thing that he wanted to hold on to, and he didn't want to give it up. And, you know, and my Bible does not tell me that Jesus ran after him and said, no, 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 wait, I, I changed my mind. I love you. It's okay. No, Jesus let him walk away because you've got to be willing to sacrifice everything everything for the Lord. He has to be the number one priority in your life, the only priority in your life. Amen. The Lord wants to have all of us. He does not offer any alternative at all. He is either the Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. Amen. There's no halfway ground here when we're living for Jesus. Amen. Amen. In short, we die to ourselves that we might live for Him. And therefore, as we take up our cross, we dedicate ourselves to the Lord, whatever the cost, that we could obtain what is beyond cost, the salvation of our souls. Amen. Though the way of the cross is a sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice of all, it is also paradoxically the only way that we can gain all. Amen. So much stands to be gained or lost. Abundant life now and eternal life in the end. But here is the thing. Jesus will not force you to take up your cross. He will call, but he will not compel. He will empower those of us who answer his call to bear it, but he will not take it up for you. It's your job. It's my job, amen. You know, and since Jesus will not force us to do it, what should motivate us? What should motivate us to pick up the cross? You know, the, the writer of Hebrews put it like this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, amen. Jesus did not just look at the cross for what the cross was worth, but he looked through the cross and he saw you and he saw me and he saw the whole world. He said, you know what? That is a price that I am willing to pay. And he went to that cross with joy in his heart because he knew that the work that he was doing was going to bring so much 
much gain to him. Amen. Can it be any different to us when we look at the sacrifice and we look at the cross? Can we look beyond it to see what Jesus did for us and realize, hey, he did that for us and that fills me with so much joy and that fills me with so much love and when I pick up the cross and I begin to trudge down the road with it and it's heavy and it hurts deep in my heart there is a joy that is springing up inside because Jesus still died for me and Jesus still loves me and Jesus still cares for me so there is no pain that I will not put up with if I can walk for Jesus there is no rejection that I will suffer if it means I can live for God for another day hallelujah we have to take up our cross and we have to have a spirit of joy and we only get the joy when we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross hallelujah can we just worship the Lord for a second right now hallelujah Jesus I worship you thank you Lord 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 Praise you, Jesus. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul lays out this grand story of God's saving work on the cross of Calvary. He said that we were all sinners. He said that the wages of sin is death, but there is a gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The whole first 10, 11 chapters, sorry, he writes about how Jesus sets us free from sin. Whether we are Jew or whether we are Gentile, whether our background is good or our background is bad. Amen. Jesus died for all. He talks about how we are justified by faith. He talks about how we are set free from the enslaving control of sin as we live our lives sanctified by the Spirit. He shows us how we could never be free by ourselves that we relied on Jesus Christ stepping in to pay the price for us. And then Paul raises the issue of how we are to respond to this knowledge. In the light of this great gospel of grace that Paul is laying out through the first 11 chapters, he says in chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Why would you want to be conformed to this world? When you consider everything that Jesus had done, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The proper response that Paul is urging believers is to give to the mercies of God. And Christ's sacrifice, the response that we are to give to his mercy and to his sacrifice is for us to become a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, and as we journey on this road that we are in, the way of the cross, a life of sacrifice, we are to continually offer our entire lives to God in worship and in consecration. You know, in contrast to a ritual sacrifice of an animal that could be offered to God only once, we offer a spiritual sacrifice ourselves as a perpetual offering of devotion and obedience to 
God, amen, as living sacrifices, brothers and sisters, our worship must never end. Our consecration must never end. Our dedication must never end. Every day of the week, our life is to be a living sacrifice to God. We never, ever die except to ourselves, amen. As holy, we are forgiven and sanctified by His Spirit and set apart for His purpose as acceptable to God. We are in right relationship with Him and thus we are pleasing to Him. And when you start to think about this, there are areas of our lives where being entirely consecrated to God runs counterculture. It runs against what this world teaches. It runs against what your island culture teaches you. It runs against what my culture teaches me. But we are to, regardless, live our life as a sacrifice to the Lord. Because ain't nobody else ever died for you or me. But Jesus did. You know, Paul described this response. He said, this is our reasonable service. And you know, the, the Greek word that's translated as reasonable, can, it can mean either spiritual or it could mean rational. And you know, perhaps, perhaps Paul had both of them in mind here. You know, our sacrifice of ourselves is obviously a spiritual act. It's not a, not a physical act. And in light of Christ's sacrifice for us that set us free from sin so that we could walk in the power of the Spirit with Him, what could be more reasonable, what could be more rational than living our life for God? All of our life, all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Truly it is a reasonable service. You know, casting our minds back to the widow at Zarephath, You might look at that and go, well, yeah, it makes sense that she would give Elijah the last of her flour and the last of her bread. Because Elijah had told her that God would provide. But she didn't receive any extra flour in her barrel. She didn't receive any extra oil in her bottle until she had made that cake and until Elijah ate it. And you, know, and you might sit there and think, well, you know, maybe he, she had heard about Elijah. Maybe. But she wasn't from the children of Israel. She was from Sidon. The prophet didn't even go to that area. It wasn't even part of Israel. So maybe she'd heard of Elijah, but maybe he was just some random guy who said, hey, feed me first and I promise you God will look after you. Well, who's God? He's not the God we serve here. But okay. Right? She got nothing from Elijah other than a promise until she stepped out in faith. Amen. She sacrificed before she had actually received anything. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have received so much already. So how much more should we be willing to sacrifice? He sacrificed all for us. So it makes sense. It's appropriate for us to sacrifice our all to him. Amen. Paul then reveals what being a living sacrifice to God entails. Since we are to take up our cross and follow Him daily, and since in this daily sacrifice we are seeking to be conformed to the image of the one that we are following, we cannot be conformed to this world. We just cannot be conformed to this world. 
To be like the world is to be incompatible with the way of the cross and to be incompatible with being like Jesus. So that's why Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world. In Galatians, he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, amen. And that's what this world refers to with all of its values, all of its customs, all of its lifestyles, all of its amusements and entertainments. We have to come out from among them, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians six seventeen, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. We've got to put some boundaries in our life. I'm not saying you can't have fun. But there are things in your life you've got to make a decision. No, I'm dead to that. It's not part of my life. I will not allow it in because I am a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The only way we can prevent this conforming to the world, as Paul writes it, is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we see the word transformed there, and it kind of makes it seem a little bit like it happens instantly, be transformed. But that's not exactly what the Bible is talking about. Being transformed is a process that happens over time. It is a lifelong process of the Spirit being formed in us and forming in us, the Bible tells us, the, the mind of Christ. So that more and more and more we come to value what Jesus values and approve what Jesus approves and reject what Jesus rejects. Amen. See, here's the thing. Just as Jesus does not force us to take up our cross, he does not force us to be transformed. I'm not saying that somehow we have to transform ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves in the first place. There's no way we can transform ourselves. Amen. The Spirit transforms, but you and I have to put ourselves in a place where the Spirit can work in our hearts. Because if we don't, the Spirit will not work. But we have to be willing to put ourselves into that position. Amen. How do we do that? Paul writes, Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. He says, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Amen. We present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, and we present our hearts to the transforming work of the Spirit when we make a conscious effort to envelop our lives with the things of God. This is why reading God's Word is so important. I tell you, you know, I was talking to my dad the other day. I don't know if I should tell you this story. He's probably watching because they're all in lockdown at the moment. But, you know, we're talking, and, you know, every time we talk, we talk about the things of God. Every single time. doesn't matter what. You know, and I was asked, how's everything going? We talked about the Bible college, everything's going on. And then, and then I asked him, how are you, how are you doing personally? Because they're in lockdown. And he talked about himself probably for all of about 10 seconds. And then we were back on the things of God. It's just the things of God are so wrapped up in my dad's life. And that's where I want to be, where I just, my life revolves around the things of God, amen. And, and that's what we do when we envelop our life with God's Word, and we read God's Word every day, and we spend time with God every day in prayer, where that time in His presence is the most precious thing we could ever have in this world, amen. Where we read God's Word, and we read it slowly, and we read it deeply, you know. I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of reading 
the Gospel of John, and I'm writing a journal about what I'm reading every day, and God is just showing me stuff that I've never seen before, and I'm just going, wow, it's amazing, God. And I've been reading my Bible for years, for decades. There is so much to discover in God's Word. But those choices we make every day, am I going to read my Word, or am I going to go watch TV? Am I going to spend time in prayer, Or am I going to go hang out with my buddies? These are the choices we make, and the more choices we make to do with the things of God, the more the Spirit can work in our hearts to transform us. Amen. The Spirit will slowly but very, very surely bring us around to a genuine Christ-likeness. And as we become more Christ-like, Paul finishes up his passage by saying, then we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Everybody wants to know what is God's will for my life. What is God's purpose for my life? Where is God leading me? Can I tell you, when you present your body as a living sacrifice to God, when you allow the Spirit to transform your life, it's in those moments and in those hours where you will be able to find what God's will is for your life. Someone say amen. As we get ready to wrap up, the Apostle Peter was acquainted with the way of the cross during his life. As a follower of the Lord. His first experience with it was humiliating. We kind of spoke about this before. But you know, from the very first time that Jesus said, By the way, I'm not going to rule as a king. I'm going to die on a cross. Peter ended up getting rejected and called Satan. And then he let him know, Peter let Jesus, Jesus let Peter know that there would be a cross for him as well. As Jesus' crucifixion drew near, Jesus Oh, sorry, Peter again was humiliated as he shamefully denied that he knew Jesus. Every time the cross popped up in Peter's life, it was embarrassing for him. He had boasted about his devotion to Jesus. He had boasted that he was willing to die for Jesus, and yet when the rubber hit the road and the chips were down, Peter said, I don't know him. He was humiliated. He was embarrassed again. The rooster crowed and Peter's failure was proclaimed. Every single disciple heard those words that Jesus spoke to him. But you know, by the mercies of God, the Lord still didn't reject him. After he rose from the dead, the Bible tells us that Jesus came and a breakfast that Jesus cooked for everybody. He reinstated Peter publicly and he called Peter to take care of his sheep. He gave Peter the opportunity to proclaim his love for him three times. Perhaps a parallel there between the three times he had denied Jesus and three times he had to declare that he loved Jesus. I imagine that Peter was deeply grateful that his master, his Lord, had given him another chance. But you know, Jesus then revealed to Peter what the way of the cross was going to mean for Peter in the end. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, this is John 21, when you are old, they will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And even when Jesus laid out the cost that Peter was going to have to pay, Peter, they are going to crucify you, literally, like they did me. Jesus' next comment was very simple. Follow me. 
I wonder if we would be willing to follow Jesus if it was laid out in such stark contrast. They're going to kill you towards the end of your life for what you stand for. Follow me. Tradition tells us that Peter reached the end of his life. He wrote his books towards the end of his life, First Peter, Second Peter. Tradition tells us that they did crucify him. But as they led him up to that hill, they got ready to crucify him. He only had one request. He said, please don't crucify me the right way up because I'm not worthy to die the same way my Jesus died. He said, I want you to crucify me upside down. I'll hang upside down. I'm not asking you to take away the cross, but just hang me upside down because I don't want to die the same way Jesus died. I'm not worthy. That is a life of someone who is living a living sacrifice because you cannot be proud unless you're a living sacrifice. You cannot be humble, rather, unless you're a living sacrifice. Pride cannot exist in the heart of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And we see that Peter, even at the end of his days, was still willing to follow Jesus to the end. We may not think that our story of receiving God's grace is quite as extraordinary as Peter. I mean, this guy publicly denied the Lord, and yet he was forgiven. You probably haven't stood up and publicly denied Jesus Christ. But in countless other ways, both you and I have denied him from time to time and forsaken him. And yet, Jesus remains faithful. And he patiently and lovingly calls us back to him, pouring out upon us the mercies of God. How deeply grateful we should be for such mercy. And then how reasonable it is that we should offer our life as a living sacrifice. And when the end comes, no matter what the end brings, we know that we have eternal life, where we get to live forever with Jesus. Amen. Why don't we all stand this morning, feel the presence of the Lord here. Hallelujah. Let's just begin to worship God together. Hallelujah. Oh, precious Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, Lord Jesus, for what you did for me, oh God. Oh, there's nothing else I can do, Lord, but live my entire life for you. Every part of my life, Lord God, it belongs to you, Lord Jesus. There's nothing else I could ever do, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your word today, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, not to be conformed to this world. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord God. Oh God, you pour out your mercies on us, Lord. Your word says your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord God. Lord, you are faithful all the time, Lord Jesus, and we try our best and we still let you down, Lord God. But Lord, we want your spirit to work in our hearts. We want to be transformed, oh God, into your image, Lord, from glory to glory, Lord God. So that, Lord, we can serve you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, Lord God. 
So, Lord, we don't understand sometimes why we struggle in life, God. But, but Lord, we want to live our life as a sacrifice. We appreciate, God, that that means taking up the cross. And we understand what that means, oh, Jesus. But, Lord, as we look through our cross, Lord, and see your cross, oh, Jesus, that you carried for us. Lord, what else could we do but give our lives to you, Lord God? Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this day, oh God. We thank you that we can serve you. Oh, Father, what an honor and a privilege to be in your house today, oh God. We praise you, we magnify you, we love you. In Jesus' name, praise you, Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you love the Lord this morning?